Welcome to Off The Record. I'm your host, Marika Day, dietitian, nutritionist, recovering perfectionist, and founder of Fueled by Marika Day. Join me here each week as we delve into what it really means to be a healthy and happy human. You'll hear from conversations with experts in their fields to raw and real chats about aspects of health and life that we really don't hear enough about. You'll be left feeling inspired, educated, and empowered to be the best version of you. So sit back, relax, or head on out for your walk, and let's dive on in. Hi, Beck, and welcome back to Off The Record. I am so stoked to have you. I think you might be our first guest to come back twice. Oh, I'm very excited to be that person. <laughs> Thank you for having me back. <laughs> You're so welcome. So for those who haven't listened to um, Beck's previous episode, it was all about self-worth. Today, we are going a little bit further into that and we are talking about the inner critic, which is something that I personally have struggled with for a very long time. So I'm very excited for this episode, um, <laughs> but I think it will sort of help to, uh, well, and this, you probably have a better idea of this than me, but for me, I think the inner critic does actually tie in with self-worth. Do you find that? Oh, yes. So when I'm working with clients that have self-worth or when I'm doing my self-worth workshop that I do, I find that the inner critic tends to be one of the biggest topics that comes up. And so it really does, I guess, interconnect between the two. So I, I am really excited to talk about this today because I feel like the inner critic just affects everything. I know. And this is something that I'm really interested in because I am so interested to hear does the inner critic show up similarly for everyone or is it louder for some people? Is it less loud for other people? Um, what are the differences, I guess, in individual experiences with the inner critic? Yeah, so it really does come up differently person to person and it's really dependent on how a person grows up, the environment that they're in, uh, their resilience levels, all of those things. So, you know, we, all of us tend to have that level of an inner critic within us, but some of us have, I guess, more of an intense version than others. Mm. And so before we go further into this, we should actually define like what Oh yes. Our, <laughs> forgot the crucial part. We're getting what, too excited. Yeah. <laughs> what is the inner critic? Um yeah, and, and how else would other people define it? Because I've heard definitely in, you know, pop psychology and everything, it's defined in lots of different ways. Yeah, yep. So I guess I like to I guess define the inner critic. It's kind of like a nasty coach that lives in our heads. Um it it constantly comes up with, you know, negative thoughts towards ourselves and others. Um, and this internalized di dialogue of critical thoughts undermines our sense of self-worth. And it tends to lead us to self-destructive or unhelpful behaviors, which makes us feel even worse about ourselves. So, you know, the inner critic might sound like, you know, you should have done this, or why didn't you do this? Or what's wrong with you? Um, why can't you get it together? Um, so it, it's quite negative in its language. Yeah. And is there a role for the inner critic? Like why have we developed an inner critic? Yeah, <laughs> I know. Surely there's a better about it. It's like, why? <laughs> but I guess the, the inner critic tries to keep us safe. Um, and it tends to point it, point out what could be improved in the future. So really it's our brain trying to keep us safe in its own weird way. 
So, you know, when you're in a group of people who I guess your opinions, you know, that you value, it'll watch out for you to say, you know, the right thing and not to say anything stupid. So it, it, it tries to keep you, uh, I guess, safe in its own way. Um, and if it believes you did something silly, it'll beat you up about it. So that then helps you not do it in the future, if that kind of makes sense. Um in psychology, we call it the negative self-evaluation. So if you engage in it over and over again, it ultimately leads to you having poor self-image um, and it tends to make it very hard to live happily and confidently. Mm, that's so interesting. And yeah. So you were saying earlier that our upbringing can have an influence on this. What yes. other things can influence us and how does our upbringing have an influence? Yeah, so the, I, from my own studies and, and through research, I think that there tends to be three common causes of the inner critic. So the first one is our evolution. So the inner critic prompts a, a specific emotion that has evolutionary importance, and that is shame. So while our hunter-gatherer ancestors lived in tribes, shame actually informed them that they might have done something that didn't fit in with the social norms and that can actually threaten their position in the group and so you didn't want to feel that you were going to be kicked out of the group because back in those times you know it was really important to be a part of something because it kept you alive so that actual evolutionary um uh, i i guess uh what's the word advantage yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, is super important, I guess, so that, you know, we can feel safe within ourselves and that's actually just been handed down. Um, and then another one is actually our parental conditioning. So the inner critic can actually develop in our early childhood years um, and it tends to come from, you know, what we've seen from our parents or what they've said to us. Um, there's this really great quote from Dr. Lisa Firestone in her book, seven reasons most people are afraid of love and what she said was we all have a critical inner voice which acts like a cruel coach inside of our heads that tells us we are worthless or undeserving of happiness this coach is shaped from painful childhood experiences and critical attitudes we were exposed to early in life as well as feelings that our parents had about themselves so while these attitudes can be hurtful over time they've become ingrained in us and as adults, we fail to see them as an enemy instead, accepting their destruction point of view as our own. So I think that's a really beautiful quote because it talks about how our childhood experiences and how our parents felt about themselves can actually impact our own inner critic. Mm, yeah, and I guess it's that thing of if you hear it enough times and if you see it enough times and if you see it modelled in others enough times that it becomes almost truth to you. Exactly. And it, it becomes a core belief. So, you know, our, our parental conditioning is so important and really does influence it. And then lastly, um, is our cultural scripts. So there are cultural scripts that may have taught you to punish yourself for certain behaviours. So, you know, for instance, you know, big boys don't cry or stop it now and calm down. What will people think of you? Or, you know, children should be seen, not heard. Like all of those things actually have a huge impact on our inner critic. Yeah. And you've got me thinking here. My brain's just running a million <laughs> miles an hour going, oh, wow. Um, yeah. <laughs> what, is, what is the relationship then between this 
inner critic and shame like what role like you said earlier that shame plays a big part in it how much of a part does shame play in this oh a huge part <laughs> like it's it's probably one of the the main parts in you know developing the inner critic because we don't want to feel excluded or unloved or anything like that and so you know we want to avoid that feeling of shame mm. asking for a friend what role does perfectionism have in it then <laughs> Uh, just a friend no No one you know um yeah again huge you know our the way that we talk to ourselves and especially when it comes to perfectionism you know if, if we're always striving to be the best that we can and striving for perfection and we don't reach that then that that inner critic comes up doesn't it that those negative kind of thoughts come up Mm. And I'm thinking about my clients that I've seen over the years in this situation. And for some reason, I attract the the similar personality types to me. So the perfectionism and everything. And yeah. um, one of the things that, you know, I'm hearing them, them saying is this around like their diet. It's like, you know, if I can't be perfect, then what's the point in trying? And I'm worthless because I can't stick to this diet or I didn't follow mm. that exercise regime. So it is sounding like, this whole like mesh between shame, perfectionism, inner critic that's just blending into, I guess, a negative experience for for everyone. Exactly. Yeah. I think you just nailed it. It's, you know, the the way and and as well, I guess a lot of these things like perfectionism, um, you know, the, they do come from you know, our early experiences and everything like that. So, you know, if we were around someone like a a parental figure that was a perfectionist, then we tend to take that on. Or, you know, if when we were younger and we didn't get good grades and our parents were constantly on us to get better grades, that could influence that, you know, perfectionism. You know, there's so much that influences it. Mm. And so how is the inner critic then impacting our mental health? Like, is there any research around depression, anxiety, those sorts of things? Oh, yes. It's, you know, the inner critic has this power to make us feel constantly anxious. You know, it it tends to spot and point out danger. So, again, that comes back to our evolutionary um, uh, need to, I guess, stay a part of a group, um, our physical and psychological health health um it may catastrophize exaggerate magnify the bad it tends to minimize the good in our lives um and it can make us feel paranoid um it it can make us want to mind read so that you know we we can be accepted by others there's it, it really does i guess influence and can make us feel anxious and depressed um many people feel like their inner critic reminds them of the things that they didn't do And so, you know, we we tend to criticise ourselves over and over. Yeah, wow. So, And there's so much research that that suggests that, you know, the inner critic does really increase our anxiety and our low mood or depression levels. Yeah. And if this is something that we've developed from like early life experiences and our exposure from our parents and whatnot, is it something that we can choose to change as an adult? 
Yes, definitely. So first and foremost, it's just about having awareness of it. So a lot of people don't realize that it's something that you can change, that it's not something that, you know, needs to be a part of our day-to-day life. So it really is around having awareness first and foremost and and working with it. And so for somebody who is, I guess, really identified with the inner critic to the point where they probably aren't able to separate their, what I'm going to call is like your true self to the inner critic. Do you have any suggestions Mm. of how you can actually sort of start to tease apart who you are as a person and that sort of, uh, I don't want to say positive, but that just self-assuring voice compared to the inner critic for somebody, like I said, that, you know, might be unsure of who they actually are and whether this inner critic is the totality of them. Yeah. So I think first and foremost, like I said, you've got to be aware of your internal state. So I think this is where, you know, mindfulness and meditation and becoming more conscious of your thoughts is really helpful. Um, Because I guess, again, if you're not aware of what your mind is saying, it's really hard to then distinguish whether it is the inner critic or what I like to call the inner nurturer, like the difference between the two. So when you yeah yeah I think it's just it's it's a lot more loving isn't it than than the inner critic um but once you start becoming aware of your thoughts so you know after maybe practicing meditation or just trying to check in with yourself start looking for you know when your voice starts going um into a more negative space so looking for things that you know diminish your accomplishments or dismiss the effort you put into something or tells you that you should have done something better or pushes you to compare yourself like looking for I guess these trains of thoughts that don't I guess help you or or aren't as as nurturing in nature Mm. and one of the things that I've personally found really beneficial for doing that is journaling because I feel like I sort of pull it out of my head put it on paper and can then like rebuttal it essentially with like a inner nurturer response of you know what does the true self you know the true Marika have to say about that what does she believe yeah what does she want to believe even because I might not believe it but what would I like yeah exactly and that that can be really beautiful way to self-reflect I think never discount the power of journaling because it it can have a huge impact right (laughs) like literally has changed my life I would say to the point where I notice a difference in my mood if I go a period of time be it like you know weeks not days but a couple of weeks without it then I, I can tell for sure exactly and I think a lot of people Uh, not that I want to spend a lot of time on journaling because we could do another podcast on that, but (laughs) we'll do number three soon. No, I'm kidding. Um, But I think journaling just has this really beautiful way of bringing out our inner resource. And I think a lot of people are worried to start journaling because, and this is where maybe perfectionism comes in, they don't want to do it wrong or they don't know how to do it. Whereas there's no bad way of journaling. There's no right or wrong. It's it's different person to person. And I know for myself, I use journaling as a bit of a what I like to call a thought dump where I'm literally just writing out everything on my mind. And, you know, sometimes I will bring in self-reflective questions, but sometimes all I need to do is just dump out what's going on. Yeah, I'm very much the same. It's like an end of day or beginning of day. What's on my mind? Like just purge it all out onto the paper. And yeah, then if I want to sort of go into it and, you know, 
challenge it or anything like that than I can. But sometimes, and most of the time, to be honest, it is just that, what is my brain telling me and how do I get it out of my brain and onto paper? Exactly. Yeah. And I guess for some people, there are prompts online if they, you know, want it to be a little bit more, uh, I guess, written out and structured. But I think, you know, just kind of word vomiting can be helpful. (laughs) Definitely. And I think one of the things that held me off journaling for so long, I know we said we're not going to go into journaling, but here (laughs) we are. one of the, it is such a I think it's such a good tool particularly like I said for the inner critic as well because you can yes. see it for what it is which is just words as opposed to who you are as a person yes um, so one of the things that I sort of it challenged me I guess when I first started journaling was who am I writing this for and who's going to read it And that was really confronting for me because I was like, well, this is my inner world and it's really private to me, my inner world. Like it's, it's something that I've, you know, not really shared with a lot of people or anything, particularly when I first started journaling, like it was something that was completely private to me when I first started journaling and that terrified me, but nobody is going to read your journal. Nobody has to read your journal. It is literally for you and for you only. It's not you yes. know, some book that's going to be published and read publicly or anything like that. <laughs> um, and you can even, you know, if you don't want to keep your journals, like burn them when you're done, if you exactly. don't want to trace them. Yes. And sometimes I actually use that as a tool for some of my clients that want to, you know, let go of certain um, things that they may have written down. Like sometimes we talk about, you know, ripping it up or burning it or or doing something like that as a bit of a ritual. Yeah, absolutely. And to be honest, that's kind of what I thought I'd do is like, you know, I'd get rid of all my journals once I'd finish writing in them. But what I've actually found, and this is probably one of my favorite things about journaling now is that I can actually look back at previous versions of myself and I can see when I was struggling, when I was doing well, what was I doing? What was I thinking? And actually put together a bit of like in my own, like just for me, not for anyone else, I can put together a bit of a story of my life of the like ebbs and flows of life. And I think for me, that helps a lot with self-compassion, which brings us back to us. We can see how this inner critic then, you know, comes and goes and, you know, is it stronger when you're following these routines and these patterns or when this is going on at work and you can start to, I guess, piece together, okay, well, nothing's permanent. Exactly. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yes. We're going to get into some, you know, deep, deep, deep talks now because Yeah. yeah, nothing, nothing is permanent. And I think for some people, and I think I'm going to bring up a bit of my, um, you know, Buddhism philosophy here, a lot of people get, I guess, scared by that, that nothing is permanent, but it's actually quite beautiful if you look into the the depth of that, because whatever you do today actually doesn't matter because tomorrow is, you know, a fresh new start. So I think it can actually be quite beautiful to look at it as, you know, impermanence is actually quite special. Mm, I love that. I love that. Mm, we're, and yeah, it's the truth. Like we are like so insignificant. I remember there's this, um, I remember, I mean, it's happening at the moment. Um, yeah. On TikTok <laughs> where um, it's like it, you say something about, you know, your 
think that you're significant and then it zooms out and it's like the world, the universe, like yes. everything like that. It's like how tiny we are in the grand scheme of the entire universe. And we've spent the entire day worrying about, you know, what our thighs look like or what exactly. we've eaten or, you know, how we did in that interview. It's like, oh, well, we're just a speck. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And I think for some people, again, like that's, you know, quite confronting that we are just this speck, but it just puts into perspective that we shouldn't be worrying around, worrying about, you know, minuscule things that really don't matter. It's about kind of focusing on, on the beauty of life and, and how quickly it can come and go. Mm. And so with then turning that into, I guess, daily practices. So we've mentioned journaling and meditation and mindfulness. Is there any specific like prompts or practices that you or your clients have found helpful around, um, you know, overcoming this inner critic voice? Yes. And I guess first and foremost, it's about remembering that the way to deal with your inner critic isn't about making it disappear because it's actually difficult to achieve this because we can't, you know, fully turn off our thoughts um, because our brain is actually trying to help us. You know, it's something ingrained in us to to try and, you know, help us be better. It's about really changing our relationship to our thoughts. And so as we were just talking about journaling, um, being self-compassionate. So, again, there's so many different practices to becoming self-compassionate but to start I think it's around you know maybe journaling maybe kind of you know the whole premise behind self-compassion is treating yourself how you would treat a best friend so maybe even utilizing that as like a bit of a journal prompt to kind of recognize where your thoughts you know might be becoming overly critical and how you can kind of change that perspective to something more nourishing more nurturing Um, it's around, you know, responding to inner critic kindly. So when that inner critic comes up, if you've started becoming aware of it through mindfulness, um, and, and just consciousness, then trying to just kind of switch the perspective a little bit in, you know, when a negative, um, or critical thought comes up, trying to kind of switch it into something that's a little bit more, um, based in truth, I guess, not not trying to get into anything, you know, toxic positivity level, but just going, yeah. okay, well, where can I be more nurturing in my language? So, and I'm then another, oh, sorry, here. you go. That's right. I'm saying I'm here <laughs> because um, as you're saying that, I'm thinking about what do I do when my inner critic shows up? It's probably not super nurturing. It's like a shut the fuck up. Yeah, exactly <laughs> right. And the best way to do it. <laughs> And honestly, you're not alone with that. But I think that can actually become a little bit more negative towards yourself because you're saying that towards yourself, right? Like when mm. you're saying, you know, shut the F up or whatever, you're you're kind of you're not being nurturing in that in that time. You're still being, you know, not not the kindest to yourself. So trying to really switch it into something more nurturing is really key. Yeah, that's so true. And the one thing I always say, and it sounds like um self-compassion is I guess a bit of the antidote to the inner critic and Mm. self-compassion is something that I preach a lot with Guild and with you know my Instagram and everything and one of the ways that I encourage people to do this and this is particularly relevant I think when we're talking about diet culture and body image is Mm. to speak to yourself as you would your younger 
daughter or younger sister or somebody who yeah. I would even go one step further than being your best friend is actually related to you in some way that you have this like really strong connection with, connection with yes. a cousin or something like that and they're actually quite young and vulnerable and speaking yes. to them in a way that if they came to you and said that how would you respond so pretending that you mm. are in their shoes or you know they've come to you and they're asking you or saying this to you um what would you say back and using my that's own that's beautiful well, yeah, and then but then using my own philosophy on that, I'm like, you wouldn't go and go shut the f up, like back. To- <laughs> <laughs> well, you'd I hope not, do- right? <laughs> yeah, I need to do some work on myself. I think here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, it's it's just good, I guess, to bring up these topics and and have these conversations because you can really self reflect and go, wow, like even on my own journey, even if you are you know, in most of the aspects of your life being self-compassionate, there's still probably some areas that we can work on. Um, And I guess for you, like maybe it is that because at the same time, you know, you're kind of telling yourself to shut up in a way and and that's kind of holding on to your voice. And so Mm. we, we don't want that. Yeah. And the other thing that I've found useful when it comes to the inner critic is labeling it and actually having a name for it is this something that you've found useful for other people yes 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 (laughs) (laughs) um I think labeling it and this was actually one of my other points I wanted to bring up because noticing and naming it which you know comes from acceptance and commitment therapy and comes from cognitive diffusion it helps us separate from it So it helps us recognize that it isn't us. It's just a thought or something that's coming up. And so it really helps people be able to go, oh, that's, you know, that's not me. It's just an aspect of um, myself that I can work on. Um, And for some people, it may not be their voice that comes up. It could be their mother's voice or it could be, you know, a teacher's voice or, or something like that. And so being able to go, oh, that's, you know, such and such can be helpful in kind of creating space. Yeah, definitely. And for me, like, I don't think my inner critic specifically has, you know, one voice in that, you know, it's my mom or teacher or whoever it might be. Yeah. So I've actually like given my inner critic a name. So her name is Becky. (laughs) (laughs) It's a joke between me and my friends now because we're sort of like, I'll message her about something and she's like, so what is Becky saying about this? And I'm like, yeah, oh, good I love one. that. Yes. <laughs> I won't um, take offence to that. No, I'm kidding. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that, that can be helpful, right, because then it's kind of, it's getting you to self-reflect and, and notice it and go, oh, wow, like Becky could be playing a part in this, you know, and maybe even having a different name that could be the inner nurturer. It could be your name. It could be, you know, mm. whatever as a way to kind of distinguish between the two. Mm, yeah, I love that. So that then you can sort of, you know, build that up. And where I was actually going to with that is one of the things that I've also found useful there is to visualize it in a way, firstly, that it is another person or another, you know, thing that is um, having this voice. And one of the things that I've sort of spoken about previously around this is imagining that, you know, Becky, for example, I feel like this is a really terrible example. <laughs> <laughs> no, go for it. Back. Um, yeah, 
giving like so at the moment let's say you know I've got a really um strong inner critic voice so Becky is really powerful in my head she's taking over she's telling me Mm. what I should and shouldn't be doing and visualizing that as if Becky has the microphone and it's really loud and the volume's turned right up and then being able to sort of visualize passing that microphone on to let's say Marika or you know if I had a I haven't actually done this naming of the inner nurturer but let's just call her Marika and visualizing the passing of the microphone onto her what would she say and can she say it in into the microphone which is going to voice louder now because Becky doesn't have the microphone she hasn't gone anywhere like she's not going away her voice is still there but we're not going to let her have control of the microphone yes and that's actually a really beautiful technique um I I think again it might come from acceptance and commitment therapy I can't really I think pinpoint where yeah it does isn't it because it's it's around being able to switch the spotlight um and I think that that is such a beautiful tool for people to use because it's recognizing that those thoughts will still be there but they don't have to have as much power right Mm. Yeah, and I think with the power then comes the impact it has on your behaviours where I think is where people become really unstuck is because if the inner critic then is sort of controlling in a way what we're taking action on, then we are potentially not living in alignment with our values. Exactly. Yes, yes. And again, this is where you know, recognising and acknowledge what what your values are is so important as well. So making sure that, you know, that's a little practice that you might do um, to recognise what your values are and and how to live aligned with that. Mm, Yes, definitely. Mm. But, yeah, I think those are some really beautiful points, you know, being self-compassionate, using journaling, um, responding to your inner critic kindly or, you know, trying to switch to a more um, inner nurturer and then creating distance from it. I think those are the big ones that I tend to use with clients. Yeah, amazing, amazing. So I have some questions from our incredible Fueled community for you now that they have submitted. Um, yeah. so do you mind if I run through a couple of these questions? They're fairly yeah, specific of examples. Obviously, we are all aware that this is not specific um, psychological treatment and does not replace yes. seeing a therapist. <laughs> I should have done um, my spiel, shouldn't I? Yeah. <laughs> no, we'll we'll um, disclaimer it always. Um, so one of the first questions, which I think is a really great question, is how to have a constructive conversation with a partner or a family member when you notice that their inner critic is affecting their daily lives. Um, Mm. She says, it's so easy to offend someone, even though your intentions are in the right place, or am I best just to not say anything? Yeah, what a beautiful question. And I think this would be different case to case. And I think it's one of those things where and I will get into it a little bit more, but where I think being linked in with the therapist can be really helpful because I think there needs to be a full picture kind of drawn up of the situation. Mm-hmm. But I think it also depends on how open the person is to feedback and how self-aware they are. Um, yeah, I think that's so key in this um, because if they're not self-aware or they're not someone that deals well I guess with feedback then bringing it to light may actually not be quite constructive or they may not even see that there is an issue but I think some yeah yeah it's just it's just important to I guess have that in the back of your mind but 
sometimes I think talking through your own journey can be helpful as well. So, you know, if you talk to this person around your own struggles with the inner critic, um, it may help normalize that everyone experiences it and it might actually get them, you know, looking at their own um, inner critic or looking at their own thoughts that are coming up or, you know, even Mm. talking about this podcast with someone, you know, and, and kind of getting them to kind of, maybe listen to it if they feel called to it that might actually get them starting to realize that their inner critic is really kind of affecting their lives and those around them yeah so even like having a conversation I'm trying to think um you know saying where oh I've noticed my inner critic says x y and z this way and not expecting them to say anything in return but just being vocal I guess about what your internal experiences is so that then they have that opportunity to sort of come back and, and say something. And I mean, yes. to be perfectly honest, it's totally up to the partner or the family member whether they want to share anything exactly. or, or do anything. So um, I am kind of in agreement with you. It really depends on the situation there. And I would also say it depends on your relationship with that person and your communication yes. style that you have with that person. Exactly. Yeah. If you have, you know, a really beautiful relationship or a very open relationship, they probably, you know, will be open to having this chat. But again, it really just depends on, you know, their awareness, their their level of, uh, I guess, ability to take feedback um, mm. and also their stage of change as well. They They may not even be, you know, aware that this is happening. And so, it really just does depend on on where they're kind of sitting. Yeah, and then I'm just like, here I am spiraling into thoughts here. So, <laughs> um, it then potentially does also go into a further conversation around mental health and well being. And is that something that is affecting them? And is it something that they are openly speaking about? And um, yes. there is obviously yeah a lot that that conversation could lead into so I think that yeah you're right it is really important that if possible to you know speak with a therapist around that um and yeah it really would depend on your um yeah your relationship with that person one of the things um I've I can't remember which book I've read this in but one of the things it was around like uh having really good conversations and like connecting with people in this way. And one of the things that the book recommended, and I wish I could remember it, but I can't is always coming back to like I statements. So rather than saying like, Oh, when you say this, this happens and you do that. So yes, you turn it around as to about you. So that person does not feeling as personally attacked by yes. the situation. It's like, I've noticed that when I do this, that that's what happens or something like that. Um, yeah. So that then it is more about yourself than it is about them and what they might be doing. Exactly. Yeah, that's a really good point because I guess it's really hard for people, especially when they're not self-aware, to really look at themselves in the mirror because sometimes when you say these things, it's like they have to look at themselves and, you know, that's really uncomfortable for people and that's that tends to be when they might arc up or, you know, become defensive. So it really is important to kind of shift focus there. Yes, absolutely. So next question is around the all or nothing mentality, which is again, something that we speak a lot about with Fueled. So she said, I hear my inner critic say, if I can't do it perfectly, then we should just give up. It impacts my ability to see long-term results and can lead to unhealthy behavior like overeating or restricting. 
do you mm. have any advice for how the inner critic is showing up in this all or nothing mentality? And I think, again, ties back to what I was saying about perfectionism earlier. Yeah, it really does. And I think it's around becoming aware of when this all or nothing thinking is coming up. And, you know, if it's around food, it could be helpful to link in, you know, with a dietitian and a psychologist so that you can get more of a collaborative um, health approach. Um, because I think with some of these things, especially with the all or nothing thinking, um, or if it's actually really affecting how you're showing up or, you know, you're starting to have unhealthy behaviours, I think it's really important to link in with a therapist. Um, of course, you know, doing your own work is is super important as well. But I think it's it's kind of helpful to have someone to be able to, to unearth some of these things. Um and trying to bring in that inner nurturer here is super important and, and bringing in some of those self <laughs> words not working, self-compassion practices um, can be really helpful because if it's affecting long-term results and, you know, it's, it's a bit of a pattern, I think we need to kind of break that pattern and, and find where it's kind of coming from. Mm, yes, definitely. So, yeah, therapy there would definitely be something that um, would be beneficial and yeah I think the other thing that people think with self-compassion is that it's a one-time thing um, yes <laughs> absolutely <laughs> it is, exactly it's a daily I, practice oh it's a it's an hourly minutely practice yeah. for some people and I think particularly when it comes to this all or nothing thinking and where it is impacting your behaviors is you are potentially going to have to bring in that inner nurturer a thousand yes. times a day. And exactly at every moment that that inner critic pops up and says something that is all or nothing thinking, you're going to have to bring back in that voice and it's going to be tiring and it's going to be frustrating because you just yes. want it to be much easier. But in my experience, that is one of the only ways to sort of move through it is just continually coming back to, what does my true self, that inner nurturer, have to say about this? Exactly. It's, you know, it takes work. It's it's not easy. And I think the fact that, uh, you know, this question that's come up, they've, they've actually labelled it as all or nothing thinking. I think this person already has awareness, which is so beautiful. And that's, you know, half the struggle already. But now it's about, you know, practising and, and, you know, putting in the effort because it is going to take, practice hourly daily you know for for this to kind of switch into more of a in a nurturer mm. and again I think that's where setting the expectations as well can really help that you know you might not get rid of that inner critic voice that says you should be doing all or nothing rather we want to exactly. take that microphone away from that voice and we want to strengthen up the other voice so we're not expecting exactly. it to go we're just trying ah. to change that strength and power it has a hundred percent. I couldn't have said it better myself. I think that's exactly it because you're, I think we're all, you know, always going to have a level of an inner critic. I know I still do, you know, and it can come up daily, but it's my relationship to it that makes mm. the difference. Yes. Yes, definitely. Okay. The final question is, so this is again around eating right and exercising, but more yep. so it is around feeling enough. So the essentially what she's saying is the impact of the inner critic and how sorry I'm just trying to read it and how 
it doesn't make sense. Um, <laughs> when you're even <laughs> eating right and exercising and making sure your life is balanced, you are still critical, but you are not feeling enough. So you feel like you're doing all of the right things, but that inner critic mm. is still there and still showing up and telling you that you are not enough. I think this is probably something that we've covered in totality. Of the yeah. Episode. I, I was going to say, I think that, you know, the above question that we just answered, I think really comes into this as well it's about recognizing that you know the the inner critic will be still there but it's you know trying to give the microphone to that inner nurturer Mm. and I think what you said before as well around building the relationship with that inner critic in that you know you know whether to trust it or not trust it you know how much strength and power to give to that voice and first and foremost you're aware that that's what it is that it's not the true you it's not the nurturing you it's not the you that you know you need to be giving power to um Mm. and that if you are continuing to give power to it that it can negatively impact your health and well-being in the long term not that I really like people to focus on that but I think it's important to know that you have an option to focus on something else yeah yep yep and I guess as well it's about recognizing that the inner critic is ingrained in us, right, back from caveman times. So there is still going to be a level of it. Um, And it's about recognising that it's actually your brain trying to keep you safe as well. You know, all Mm -hmm. of these things, you know, if, you know, you did have, um, I guess, you know, parents or teachers or, you know, friends influencing the inner critic from a young age, it's about recognising that your brain is doing it because it's trying to keep you safe. And so, that can be quite a nice way to reframe it and bring some self-compassion in because you can go, okay, well, you know, thanks brain for, you know, trying to keep me safe, but, you know, I'm I'm not going to kind of focus on that right now. Yeah, so you're almost acknowledging it and saying, yeah, thank you for that. Um, yeah. But I'm going to choose to focus on this. Exactly, and I guess that's where that noticing and naming can come in again, the cognitive diffusion where you're creating some space there. Um, and that's where the inner nurturer can come in and you can kind of, as you said, give the microphone to that. Amazing. I love that so much. Well, that is all the questions that I have for you today on Inner Critic. Is there Aww. anything further that you have to add? Um, I think we covered all of it. I think the biggest take home is just recognising that you know, the inner critic is there because, you know, it, it wants to keep us safe. It wants us to, you know, be a social being and, and have people around us. You know, it's it's trying to, at its core, help us. But what we need to recognise is we do have a choice to kind of focus more on that inner nurturer, recognising that the inner critic may not ever fully go away, but we have a choice to be more self-compassionate towards ourselves. I love that so much. And that is the perfect end to the podcast. So thank you so much, Beck, for coming onto the podcast again. And I can't wait for you to be our first guest to do three episodes. (laughs) (laughs) We're never going to get away from each other, are we? We're going to have podcasts until, you know, we're 80. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. (laughs) No, thank Um, you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. No, my pleasure. And just for those um, who want to find out more about you, where can they find you? Yeah, beautiful. So I tend to be most active on my Instagram. So it's at psychologist Rebecca M. And I do have my website, which is Rebecca M. Psychologist. Um, oh, sorry, Rebecca M. I don't even know my own website. Rebecca M. Psychology.com. Uh, Amazing. But I, I tend to be most active on Instagram. 
aren't we all? Yes. And <laughs> I will link um, those links in the show notes as well. So if anyone wants to check out Beck's work, they can go directly there from the links in the show notes. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a lovely day. You too.